Welcome to Beyond Toast, episode 11, talking about a revolution. Welcome to Beyond Toast. I'm Mike Weston, and this is the podcast where Toastmasters indulge their two greatest passions, food and language. And I'd like to start this week's episode with a reading. Prayer Before Taking Nourishment by Diana and Fumiadi. You who created me with two hands and one fork, with one spoon and one mouth, with two chopsticks and bright tangle of noodles, grant me the skill to separate meat from bone. You who have taught me to harden my stomach to stone, to weep only onion tears, to wear as perfume cardamom and dill. Our daily bread is just one morsel, so first, before this water turns to vinegar, a prayer for those who are hungry, truly hungry. I prepare a rich feast, because sometimes I don't want what you do or don't provide. Chrysalis, termite, I make my own richer meal. Kittens, chicks, that morsel you pass me, I don't want it, you can have it. Milk spills into the sky, like oil into the sea. All the nameless suns and stars and meteors. The sky and all the birds in it the sea and all its fish, every grain of salt and lump of sugar, your glass, your bowl, your plate and table are full. You who gave me my hunger, you who rule over it, you possess me, I stand and hold out my plate like a handful. The knife cuts open a mouth, remember your oath, you said you would come and rescue me, me the one you fed, the one who will feed you. A wonderful translation there of a Georgian poem from the Poetry Translation Centre, showing that food and what it means to us transcends languages and is perhaps a foundation for common understanding and communication. And now let's see what our guest has to share. It's time to introduce this week's guest and that's Amy Card. Welcome Amy. Hi Mike. Lovely to have you. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. As you said, my, ma- my name is Amy. I was born and bred in South Wales. I'm a valley girl at heart, but I'm currently living in Oxfordshire with my fiancé and my dog, who is a, an incredibly needy retired racing greyhound who keeps us on our toes. In terms of hobbies, we love being in the countryside so we can go on long walks. And back in the olden days, we would love to travel, go out for dinner, invite friends over, all of those long forgotten things that hopefully will get back at some point soon. Career-wise, I started by studying languages at university. I was a bit obsessed with communication and I thought, what a better way to open the possibility. Turns out, in most cases, in real life, you only need English now, but I've still got the other two. And I've worked my way through kind of sales jobs. I'm currently leading a fully remote marketing team at a global software company. So it's been a wild ride of figuring it out as I go along. <laughs> well, it sounds like you're ahead of the game if you're leading remote working now. Yeah, well, the company has actually been fully remote since 2014. So that was luckily one thing we didn't have to deal with. Many other 
complexities this year, but that was one thing that we already had in our bag. <laughs> That's the saying. So your love of language, is that what drew you towards Toastmasters? Partly. I actually joined Toastmasters to work on my leadership skills. I'm a very empathetic, overly emotional communicator. And, you know, leading a large team, particularly remotely, I need to be able to harness that and show some kind of strong direction, you know, be the calm in the storm. I also kind of have this side agenda. I just think the world has got a bit of a communication problem at the moment. The world is completely upside down. And I think there is a responsibility to each of us individually to try and lead that change. But unfortunately, only a very small subset of people are trained in communication. And so when it comes to talking about the big problems in the world, only that small subset of people typically get their voices heard. It's a very lofty agenda, but yeah, I think we've got to start where we can, right? Well, I think you should always aim high because even if you don't make your goal, you'll have done something incredible. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, so that, that sounds to me to be absolutely perfect. Communication is one of these things that gets talked about a lot and understood by very few people. I mean, it's amazing the number of people that think that if their message is not being heard, it's the audience's problem rather than them being required to understand where the problem is within themselves. I think that's where Toastmasters comes into its own in the sense it's not all about you just ramming your message down people's throats regardless. It's equally about listening, taking that information on board changing as an individual so yes if you could harness some of that toastmaster positivity and openness then you could probably do the world some good fingers crossed yeah <laughs> where's your club based so i am vppr and member at didcot speakers and we actually chartered right at the start of lockdown so we didn't get our chartering party but it's still on the books we are in district 91 division j area 22 south oxfordshire Excellent. I haven't been down Didcot way for a while. I mean, I did spend, uh, thanks to my career in science, far too much time around Cullum and Harwell, uh, and a lovely part of the world, but I never got really much chance to actually see much of Didcot. It was all the really, really lovely science parks and uh, installations. It's big for science. Um, Well, actually, when we're we're back in real life, our venue is really close to Harwell's. So if you ever want to come back and visit. <laughs> the joy at the moment is that with Zoom, you can drop in in most places. So I assume you're Zooming at the moment? Yeah, we, ha- we are. And we actually have had some visitors like from as far afield as Texas, which is really great. Like you say, it just opens things up as long as the club is in a language that you understand. And it's not the middle of your night. Although we do have some members who have woken up at 3am to attend clubs on the other side of the world. Yeah, it's quite nice. It's quite comforting. It is. In this moment where we're all locked down and squirreled away in our own wee worlds, it's just a great way of connecting us all. Yeah. Historically, I've not been a great believer in online and Zoom and various other things, but I have to say I'm gradually coming around to the, the benefits it can offer. Yeah, there's certain silver linings. I quite like not having to drive home after a meeting as well, because it used to be about 35-minute drives. Yeah, it means I can go to bed sooner after the meeting. <laughs> I think that is definitely a good idea. Although I, I am impressed by those people who are getting up at three o'clock in the morning. I mean, that shows passion and commitment, the sort of passion and commitment that seems to be driven by a love of something, which leads us on to our first segment, our favourite food memories. So, Amy, what would be the, the food memory that, you know, if it springs into your mind, it just draws so much attention, you can't concentrate on anything else, and it really becomes an all-encompassing passion that you then have to 
be dragged back into that lovely memory and just experience it for the umpteenth time. food experience that that always comes to mind would be anything I ate while I was in Vietnam about five years ago because it was so different to anything I had ever experienced before the ingredients were you know as fresh as you can get they were very often cooked right in front of us so you had you know the smell from the frying oil or the smoke from the barbecue there were very often barbecues on the table and you got that assault of the senses and when we were by the sea we ate seafood when we were inland we ate fresh herbs and noodles and like barbecued meat that was wrapped in this incredible slippery chewy rice paper And we've tried to recreate it at home since and gone to very nice Vietnamese restaurants, but you can only really get 80%, 90% of the way there. Like that final 10% is all about the atmosphere, the humidity, the noise of the traffic, which, you know, on the outside doesn't really sound appealing, but when you're in it, it just adds to that cacophony appealing to your senses. And I remember specifically one memory and there was this banh mi stall in Hanoi and banh mi is like this sandwich that is quite famous in Vietnam, but sandwich doesn't do it justice. It's this incredible mix of like meats and pâtés and pickles and crusty bread. It's like heaven in your hands and mouth. And it was this totally unassuming, we almost missed it. It was TripAdvisor's top rated place to eat, but it was just this cart outside like a shoe shop or something, I think. We went there and we ordered one each, the two of us, and we sat on the curb in front of the shoe shop and we ate it and immediately just got up and ordered a second one, being <laughs> typical Western, Western tourists um, of no sense of when to stop. Um, and to this day, it still makes me salivate. I'm absolutely salivating just hearing you describe it. Yeah. No, I mean, that does sound fantastic. I know what you mean about that whole experience of cultures and so just being sort of immersed in it all, and it just heightens all of your senses. So it's not just that you're, you're relying on the usual sort of taste and smell. Everything is ratcheted up to 11. And so the memory of this new experience just gets built upon and built upon and just so cemented into your psyche that it does become something that you can never escape, which is probably a good thing. I, I do love a little bit of ban mai and i can never pronounce it is it fur oh. i would probably massacre the pronunciation yeah. fur because yeah. they said don't call it foe but yeah um, there's such nuance in that language i don't know i always feel embarrassed because I, I eat enough of it and you think after a while it would sink in but i think the problem is i when i'm eating these things all i can do is focus upon the food and the sensation of the food and everything else just drifts away well, it's also, I found out it's, I think they call it a tonal language. So that word can actually be pronounced in six different ways and mean six different things, but it's written exactly the same. As a newcomer trying to learn it, you're, you're really up against it, I think. I mean, I know it's laying out in a massive excuse for us. My partner speaks a number of different dialects and she will say things that I have not the history and the training and the experience of a language. So she'll say sort of three different things saying these are all completely different and it all sounds exactly the same to my ears, which yeah. is absolutely failing on my part. I will absolutely acknowledge that. But yeah, <laughs> I have tried and I cannot get past it. No, no. And in that failure, that failure that obviously haunts me, 
I would have to turn to some sort of comfort food. So, Amy, what sort of comfort food might you suggest? It absolutely has to be carbs. As a broad, broad thing, carbs. And I think, thought about this, and I think it is, this might be a bit deep, but I think it is a rebellion against the modern world. Because in this modern world, everything is be productive, be super healthy, optimize every aspect of your life. And carbs are a little bit demonized because they slow you down and they make you sleepy. But eating something that is dough based, it feels like a bit of a defiance against that. It's like, no, I'm going to take my time. I'm going to probably have a nap afterwards. You make pastry, you make pasta. It takes sometimes hours of rolling and resting and you can't rush that. Otherwise you ruin it. Dough, if you're making bread, it takes as long as it takes and there's no way you're rushing that. Otherwise you're going to ruin it. Bread, it'll like absorb anything you put on it, whether it's butter or sauce and it feels greedy and it absorbs it and it relishes that. I was liking eating carbs to relishing in that kind of lethargy and that rest and I spent some of my time at uni in Italy and I got to know this, um, my Italian grandmother, I called her and, you know, her aim was always, it was a job well done if you had to sleep after you had eaten, after you had been to visit her. And so eating carbs to me is like getting this big doughy hug from her. And it just, it's just the most comforting thing. An Ode to Carbs by College Undergrad. Carbohydrates. I salute the way carbon, hydrogen and oxygen comes together, not only forming a ring-shaped structure, but providing a basis for some of life's most magical creations in the realm of food. Like life, you are both simple and complex. Through trial and error, humanity has experimented with your endless possibilities, bringing us delicious food options, all while supplying the necessary energy our bodies need to continue enjoying your existence. Through the ages, you have stood the test of time, facing both discrimination and admiration, yet continuing to prove your true purpose. Thank you, Bread, the mother of carbohydrates, for absorbing my tears in times of turmoil and sadness, but also giving me that extra spring in my step when needed. Thank you, Pasta. If I had a penny for all the different types of pastas I love, I would be wealthy in more ways than one. Thank you, Pizza. You truly taught me that there are endless possibilities in life. My love for you is like a circle. Endless. Thank you, Potatoes. Your eyes, so hypnotic. Whether you are baked, cubed, mashed, scalloped or fried, my love for you will never discriminate. To me, your true worth will never be determined by the kilocalories per gram or even your glycemic index, but by the satisfaction of my belly. Carbohydrates, you are the gasoline to my car, the essential fuel I need to continue on with a happy and healthy lifestyle. Thank you, carbohydrates. I love you. And if I had to pick one specific food, it would be something called dipped in which others called eggy bread. I think the sweet version is French toast, but in my family it's dipped in. And that is because we are Welsh and we're from the valleys and the bread is dipped in the egg. And it's always fried in a mix of oil and butter. It is always cut into four triangles and stacked on the plate and it's always served with ketchup. Those, those are the rules, non-negotiable. 
<laughs> I think that's two great answers in one. You, you, have, you have the philosophy of carbs and embracing that calming, comforting environment of carbs and not, not getting caught up in the rat race. And then a fantastic example of something which builds upon the carbs and that family connection to make it ultra comforting. That is an absolutely brilliant response. I love that. Made me really hungry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I've got this pop filter up. Otherwise, I think I would be uh, absolutely ruining my microphone. <laughs> and uh, speaking of ruining things, it would be moving on to Mike's Eat of the Week. And the reason I say ruining things is that I suffered a terrible loss this week when my oven door spontaneously exploded. Fortunately, it decided to shower my kitchen in shards of glass moments after I was standing in front of it. Otherwise, it would have been quite nasty. But while I may have escaped physical injury, my lack of oven has felt like I have lost a culinary appendage. This was brought into especially stark relief as so many of the recipes in my recipe box require an oven. However, it is often said that necessity is the mother of invention and when faced with this challenge, I took it for the opportunity to try some new things. And so my eat of the week this week is a smoked aubergine and beetroot risotto. Being a great fan of Mutabel, I had been hoping to incorporate those smoky, rich, creamy flavours into a dish for quite some time. And this seemed like the perfect opportunity. I very much enjoyed charring the aubergine and reducing it to a rich, creamy pulp. I was pleased that the sweet and earthy tones of the beetroot enhanced that natural nuttiness of the aubergine although I regret the addition of a tin of mixed beans as it gave it a somewhat sludgy consistency that could only be slightly enlivened by the addition of copious amounts of cheese. All in all, although unlikely to set the fans of Chopped into paradigms of excitement, I thought it was an interesting try and an experiment I think I might well return to again. And now it's time for the Fantasy Meal for Four section. And this is your opportunity to bring three guests, living dead, fictitious, from the past, present or future, together in a fantastic celebration of food and a meal that you will partake in. So, who would you invite along? What would you eat and where would you go, Amy? My first two answers are going to be really cliched, but I'm going to say them anyway because they're wonderful people. Firstly, I idolise Michelle Obama. She is this example of grace and poise in really difficult situations. She came out with this great phrase, when they go low, we go high, which is my mantra whenever I'm facing someone who is really challenging my communication skills, shall we say. You know, I would love to just sit down with her and just get inside her brain. Secondly, on a similar note, Brené Brown, who's a researcher, storyteller, she does a lot of work on vulnerability and leadership. I read one of her books at the beginning of this year, and it really changed my perspective on how I could be as a leader. I didn't have to be this overly professional. I could harness my own emotions. I don't want to say you don't have to be professional, but I could be me and still be a good leader. I don't have to hide the fact that I'm a human. And that really 
did a U-turn for me on my brain. So she would be incredible. And then thirdly, I would really love to bring back my nan on my dad's side. And that's because I don't think I really fully appreciated her when she was alive as anything more than a lovely old lady. And since she's been gone and since I've obviously grown up and I've become an adult with my own opinions and everything, I found out that actually she was a really kind of committed feminist and she was an ardent political activist. And I would just love to bring her back and get her take on what is going on in the world and have a conversation with her grown up to grown up, you know, and see if, see if she's proud for everything, all of the really strong women that she has left a legacy to. I think she would, but I would love to just bring her in and say, this is how we're carrying things on. That's got the making of a real intellectual think tank. I mean, yeah. you've got, you see, you've got a holder of the torch in Michelle Obama, who has who did incredible things and, and, and remains an incredible sort of icon, all sorts of struggles. Your grandmother, who did her part, who would then be able to have this view of the past and how the past repeats itself and how the battles are still the battles and how other things change and some things don't. The academic sounds fantastic. You never want to lock away your true self. You want to harness your true self, turn that into something to be proud of. There are so many systems in the world, and I think this is exactly what this fantasy think tank meal would start addressing. There are too many systems in the world that seek to oppress people and keep them down rather than encouraging them to embrace who they are and lift them up. And that, to me, is for people who could start a real revolution. Absolutely. To Change the World Enough by Alice Walker To change the world enough, you must cease to be afraid of the poor. We experience your fear as the least pardonable of humiliations. In the past, it has sent us scurrying off, daunted and ashamed, into the shadows. Now, the world ending, the only one all of us have known, we seek the same fresh light you do, the same high place and ample table. The poor always believe there is room enough for all of us. The very rich never seem to have heard of this. In us there is wisdom of how to share, loaves and fishes, however few. We do this every day. Learn from us. We ask you. We enter now the dreaded location of Earth's reckoning, no longer far off or hidden in books that claim to disclose revelations. It is here. We must walk together without fear. There is no path without us. Where would this revolution begin and what would it be fed with? <laughs> well, in a, in a totally appropriate setting, probably in my house, because before this pandemic kicked off, I used to travel a lot for work and it made me really, really appreciate being at home. So I would invite them all to me. Then I could wear comfy clothes. I wouldn't need to worry about getting dressed up. We could all just sit around and relax. I think that's, that's absolutely vital. If you're going to have world-changing discussions, be relaxed. And you want to break down the barriers as well. If you're being your true self, you want to be there in PJs and comfy slippers. Absolutely. And I absolutely agree with you. Business travel, while vital on occasion, is definitely overrated. For me, it lost its shine when I had a trip to Venice. Desperate to see Venice. I think I arrived at midnight and had a meeting at eight and was flying out at lunchtime. So I think I got up at five o'clock in the morning just so I could see some of it. For me, that was it. That was the end. I mean, <laughs> and staying, staying at home definitely had its place at that point. I think if you can 
tag a holiday on before or after, it's okay. But if you're just sitting in a hotel, it's a lot. So you've got your guests, you've got your location, but what food? What's going to be the fuel on which this army marches on? <laughs> it has to be home style. It has to be something like a lasagna or paella. I make a really good paella with garlic bread, food of the gods, but served in a dish in the middle of the table. But everyone has individual plates because I am a very slow eater. And the number of times I've lost out on a second portion because everyone's just digging in the center. No, I want an individual plate with a pre-allocated portion. I'm sure Michelle and Brené and Nan wouldn't have stood for either. But just to make the boundaries clear, everyone has a plate to start with. And then I take as much as I want. And then you can all carry on eating the rest. That seems very sensible. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I'm at the opposite end of the scale. I mean, my mother had a, an absolute distaste of cold food. So as soon as anything got cold, it would be wicked away. So if I didn't eat at an indigestion forming pace. <laughs> so I'm always envious of people who could just take their time and savour their food and, and not feel that they've got to grab it before it's grabbed away from them. <laughs> and speaking of being grabbed away, there's always a point in any dinner party in important discussion whether it is world changing or not that someone steps slightly out of line and just doesn't realize that they are taking the conversation into a dangerous place and unfortunately the fates have chosen you in this instance and you are going to have to choose a subject from the taboo list of non-toastmaster topics and that is politics religion or sex so which of these topics would you choose and why well, I think specifically because of the group of people I've got together in this situation, it has to be politics, even though it makes me want to peel my own skin off. It's like I said, the world is upside down. And I think we all have a duty to talk about that. And I think the more we talk about it, the more comfortable we will get. In the past six months, they have had increasingly difficult conversations with friends and family where People just don't know how to communicate about things that really scare, you know, the implications of some of these conversations are huge now. The fact that we don't know how to talk about them takes away the power from every person to, to make that change. So I think the best thing that could happen in this world, but also in my dinner party, is people learning to just talk without judging, talk to understand, not to prove a point or be right. I don't know enough about politics, economics, climate change, social equality to be a leader on them. But I want to feel comfortable asking why someone thinks a certain way without feeling like if I disagree with them, they're going to verbally attack me or worse, or I'm going to be judged. You know, it just needs to be an exploratory conversation in order to move us all forward, I think. I think you're right. I think the problem is we're no longer using communication as a tool of providing information. It's a point scoring exercise or it's a way to belittle other people. In, in think, some you know, cases, it's a war. Oh, like yeah. it's being positioned as two sides and it's not. Or perhaps it is, but the sides are not what are being suggested. <laughs> yes, I, I spent a lot of my career in climate change and these meetings where you had one climate denier and one climate scientist it just drove me insane. You can see many examples of that across the patch in communication and like to think things are getting better, but uh, yeah. But anyway, yes, a, a discussion on politics, never a bad thing. Certainly one of those things where there might be scope of making a difference and making a change. Religion is always a good subject to discuss, but 
you're not really going to change many things in religion. It is by its nature, you know, a codified set of rules. Sex, you might change things, but you probably don't want to know what you've changed. <laughs> and, but I think yeah. politics is definitely one of those areas where, you know, there's always scope for good communication and good discussion. Mm-hmm. And while you led that good discussion, while you may have done some good, the rules have been broken and... We definitely know that politicians are the first people to stand up and support the rules. They're going to be the ones standing there saying, no, this law is a law and we will never break that. Mm -hmm. So they're going to cast you out because they are true and honest people, cast you out into the night and say, you have broken the rules. You're not allowed in this party anymore. You're out, cast adrift, no one to turn to. What guilty pleasure will you reach out to to provide succor in this moment of despair? I mean, you've heard how I feel about pastry, but I have been known to carry a sausage roll in my handbag to the theatre just in case there wasn't an opportunity before the show starts or in the matinee to get some food. I have been known to eat them in the car secretly. My mum, anytime she gets a chance, will tell the story of my first birthday party and all of the adults were in the living room and they said, where's where's Amy? Where's the baby? And they went into the kitchen and I had climbed up onto my high chair, settled myself in and they found me with a cocktail sausage in one hand and a sausage roll in the other. And I had started the party myself. I just love them. I know, I know they're probably going to be what kills me, but they're delicious. Ode to a Sausage Roll, a poem by Fred McNamara. Salute the slender sausage roll, it fills the heart and warms the soul. The fluffy pastry hides the seasoned meat, inside the silky pork is hard to beat. You're soft and savoury and full of spice for me. You just caress my inner gum, and plus you dance upon my tongue. You're my escape from all the things I hate, apart from proper folk, you are my mate. And yet, my mum, she says the worst. If you eat any more, you'll burst. The kids at school say something just as bad. They give you cancer. Ain't that just sad? A dreadful way to go. But I just can't say no. Just think there's cancer in a sausage roll. It's just enough to kill my soul. But I just can't decide to change my snack. I'd let myself just die and won't look back. This may well be the end of me, but think how full my tongue would be, for sure I'd die the way I want to go. About how many it take, I just don't know, but all this talk of death has dragged me down at best. If I could just give them up and live, but lose those tasty treats as if. I bet it's all a lie, it sounds so dumb. I think I'll burst instead, that sounds like fun. That is what a guilty pleasure should be. If you don't have all of that pleasure, then the guilt isn't worth doing it. And if it doesn't have the guilt, then it's the pleasure doesn't have that same frisson. The good news is the vegan ones equally as good. So it's literally a pleasure anyone can enjoy. I was honestly surprised by that. I mean, I thought this is just some sort of scam or advertising thing, but no. I am a great... I don't go as far as carrying them with me in case of emergency, but I do salute that. 
anyone who's that committed to carbs, definitely a, a living legend and a, a rebel. teacher to us all. I, mean, I think your, your philosophy of carbs is something that I will certainly be taking with me and giving more thought to afterwards. And I would encourage any listeners to do the same. And that is the only change I hope for. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at least you're setting yourself some challenges there. Changing the world and getting a better view on carbs. And maybe a sponsorship with Greg's. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully some, someone out there might be listening and we'll see what we can do. <laughs> Thank you for those answers. I think they were very interesting. And again, I think you've got cogs in my brain whirring away on about different ways to look at the world, which I think is all one can hope to do when engaging in communication. So thank you very much for that. So is there anything at this point you'd like to promote? Just, I would say, obviously we are on Zoom. Didcot Speakers meets every first and third Monday of the month and you can find us on Eventbrite and also through Easy Speak and just let us know you're coming and you're more than welcome to come as a guest. Excellent. Well, I shall definitely put a link in the, the show notes so that everyone knows where to go. Definitely a joy of Zoom is you can get around the whole world, but you can also just get up the road, which is uh, surprisingly equally as hard to do at this point in time. Yes. <laughs> which I never would have thought would have been the case. But there we go. Yeah, no one saw this coming. <laughs> well, except for all the scientists that said it was, well, it, yeah. <laughs> said it was on its way. But, uh, but that's, again, that, that's getting into politics. I have, yeah. to have to throw myself <laughs> off my own show at this rate. You're going to have to finish without me. <laughs> that is the end of the episode. I'd like to thank people for listening. If you like what you heard, please rate, review and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you've enjoyed the readings, then do please check out the poet's other work. So it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from our guest. Goodbye. Thank you. Excellent. And I hope you'll join us next time for another episode of Beyond Toast. <laughs>